You're listening to The Iron Show with Johnny McMahon. We're proud to have The Iron Show right here on Fringe Radio Network. That's FringeRadioNetwork.com. Johnny in your ear, but what does Johnny listen to? Oh, Bruce Collins, baby, yeah! The Bruce Collins Show. Gotta give a shout out to Bruce Collins of the Bruce Collins Show and founder of the Fringe Radio Network. Oh yeah, we're so honored to be a member of the Fringe Radio Network with fine shows like the Bruce Collins Show, Lynn Marzulli's Acceleration Radio. And Doug Hamp has a new show on the network, and also Canary Cry Radio. Oh yeah, Fringe Network Radio. Have you heard the new Bruce Collins show with Patrick Wood? Oh yeah, in the intro, Bruce casts all my favorite podcasting heroes as horses in an Australian horse race. And I was so interested to know uh, what the two losers thought of being in the horse race. And so I asked... uh, I asked Dr. Future, how did it make you feel to lose the Australian Bruce Collins horse race? Dr. Future wrote, Johnny, it was like a nightmare. I wish Bruce would quit horsing around and get to the main topics. Although it was funny, a bit, and quite a tale regarding losing the race, I thought I was a shoe I sure thought I would winny. Sorry. I don't wish to saddle you with any more feedback, Dr. Future. P.S. I think my horse got sponged. (laughs) All right. Then I went to my friend Derek Gilbert and asked him uh, how it made him feel to lose the race so badly he was called stoned motherless. Derek replies, I feel fine about the whole thing. Nice guys finish last, you know. And I believe the announcer said stone mulletless, which is undoubtedly a reference to my fresh and up-to-date hairstyle, Derek. All right! T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Hey, welcome to Iron Show. It's your boy Johnny. I'm down here with my dear friend, Counselor Mark. Oh, Counselor Mark. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. It's so nice to... We're departing from our Human Emotions series today, and we're going to talk about, you know, stuff. And uh, this, is, this is our stuff day. <laughs> <laughs> this is 
talking about stuff. Right! Iron Show 39, a show about stuff. Oh, yeah. All right. Sometimes you just got to sit around and talk about stuff. That's it, man. Talk about stuff. Whatever pops up, whatever is what's up. And, uh... And speaking of, uh, speaking of that, um, before we get going, let's kick this show off. Um, I've been thinking, of, I've been wanting to ask you something for a couple weeks, Mark. Now that I've got you here, uh, I want to hit you with a question. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's up? Oh, yeah! <laughs> and listen to a show about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to sit around the old Cracker Barrel and talk about things and stuff. You want to gnaw on the old facts? Oh, Let's do a little bit of whittling. Put an old lady on the, on the skillet? No. Put another one on the spit? No. We'll just uh, sit here and let that alien smoke in the background, and uh, that's right. Yeah, boy. You know what? I mean, I never believed in people saying I am what I am. But the older I get, you know, the more I realize that I'm not going to... I am what I am. I mean, I can try to change my behavior or whatever, but I can't change my personality. That's just, that's not going to happen. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's not something you can really change. I don't even think you have the power to change your personality. You could probably, uh, you could probably shut your mouth. I suppose that's one thing you could do. (laughs) But, I mean, you're not going to change yourself. I mean, how are you going to do that? I had a supervisor in the Air Force. Man, I put in for orders overseas as soon as I got this guy as the dude that wrote my uh, performance reports. And uh, and that was just, as soon as I got him, I, I sit in the office. I think, okay, well, I'll approach this you know, as best as I can, and we'll see what's going to happen. And he's like, well, I can tell you right now, it was the, the score was one to five, five being the best. Uh, score you can get and uh and i was just like man this is gonna suck this guy he's he's weird and uh he says right now i'd really be challenged to give you a three if i had to write a report i was like what in the world and then he was like you'd go a lot way further and getting a better score if you just shut your mouth (laughs) (laughs) yeah just like, oh, I have got to get the heck out of here. <laughs> I knew my, I knew my uh, yeah. was going to be absolutely torpedoed if I didn't get out of Dodge. So I put in for orders for Korea, and I had them real fast. And, uh, and so what happened was is the guy didn't have to write a performance report on me because I'd gotten, I'd gotten orders. Uh, faster than the cycle 
so he was so he didn't have to write anything on me so I got out of that but I had to go to Korea to do it but I mean after after that I was just like oh screw this there's no way in the world I'm sticking around for this kind of stuff let me see here I just switched on my compressor whoa it's not that loud I just it, it, it compressed your fan yeah <laughs> no kidding because I got the noise gate on too, and it's blocking out the fan noise. And I thought, well, I'm going to turn up the compressor like, so that it's so it sounds a little more professional. Then it's like, I just turned on my compressor. Is it better now? Oh yeah. I've been having a tough time lately. It's been tough. I ain't, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna lie to you now. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I this dude came over. I was so bummed out. This dude came over with uh, uh, this old friend from the old neighborhood. Came over with a bunch of crystal, and he goes, "Let's do some lines, man." And I was like, "No, <laughs> that's all." I and I was thinking, you know, that would have really made me feel better at the time. But no, man, I'm glad I told him. I told him no thanks. And, is, is that what you're talking about, crystal meth? Oh yeah, that make what you feel. That, what does that do? Oh, Make it's you real euphoric or what? It's speed that's really, really euphoric. Huh? Oh yeah, you feel just like a hundred bucks, like cocaine or or painkillers. It's got, it's like normal speed will just make you, you know, nervous and make you want to do things, you know, motivate uh-huh. you. But math is speed that makes you feel really happy. Wow. Yeah, so I would have felt really happy yesterday. <laughs> I'd still be feeling kind of happy today, probably, but, oh, man, I'm glad I said no. I was just like, dude, I go, but before you go, could you take a look and, because dude's a crack mechanic. I go, could you take a look, look and see where my uh, my Beamer, my Roadster's leaking oil? It's just pouring oil. And wow. he's going, okay. And he takes a look. He goes, oh, Oh, you put your you put your oil filter cap on wrong. I said I did. He goes, yeah, the O ring goes inside. I said, really? He goes, what's this thing been leaking? Two quarts a day? I said, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> he's going here, and he pull takes off the. It's got a really weird oil filter system. You just buy the mm-hmm. innards. You don't, you know, screw on like a can. Right. So, yeah, you you have to buy all the innards and then put it in this permanently built filter it's a beamer that's a beamer so anyway right. he just takes the cap off moves the o-ring he goes oh dude you stretch the o-ring out because it's not supposed to go there i was going oh man he looks down he sees my old one and he goes oh well this is in good shape and it's had time to shrink back <laughs> he pulls it out of the driveway cleans it off on his t-shirt and puts it back on screws the cap back down man the dude's like l- totally sealed it's like wow. no no oil and i'm like dude thanks he goes yeah sorry i couldn't get you high man and I'm like, hey, no, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the high I need. What are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, no dude. more oil leaking. Yeah. Oh, I was feeling way better after he fixed that horrible oil leak. I was like, oh, man. It's right. It's beginning of summer. And, you know, you got to have the Beamer. You got to have the convertible, you know, to cruise around in the Roadster. And, oh, it's pouring out two quarts of oil every mile. You know, it's like. Oh, dude totally fixed it. For today's sermon, we come across the sixth chapter of the second books of 
kings, my friends. And uh, where we have, we have uh, the prophet Elisha. Now, I ain't talking about Elijah. He's already gone up in the whirlwind there, my friends. But we have the prophet Elisha, which was his student that uh, Elisha gave a double portion of his of his spirit to. Uh, and Elisha, very powerful prophet, my friend. And Elisha was standing there and his 400. No, I don't know if he had 400. There was a lot of prophets came up to him and said, there are many of us, master, and we have no place to live. This place you have given us to live is too small for us to abide in, master. And so Elisha said, oh, I understand. And they said, would you would you let us go down by the Jordan River and cut down some trees so that we could build a new dwelling for us prophets to live in? And he said, wow, of course you can. And they said, will you please go with us, master? And Elisha said, I will go with you. And so they went down to the Jordan River, my friends. They went down to the Jordan River and they began to chop down the trees to build their dwelling. And one of them chopped down this one tree and the, and the, and the iron axe head from his axe flew away as the axe broke and the axe head, the iron axe head, fell into the river Jordan and he said, Master, oh Master, that axe was borrowed. Oh, what shall I do? And Elisha said, Calm down, my friend. Calm down, my son. He and Elisha placed some wood in the Jordan River and he floated the axe head to the surface. And he said, Go get the axe head, my son. So do you know what the moral of this story is, my friend? No. We're about to float you some iron. Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, you know it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Woo. I'm loving that. <laughs> all right. Oh man, that uh, reminds me. I gotta send you uh, the link to the video of my brother's new. Uh, his band's put out a record, and they've got a video up on YouTube. And uh, he's the singer songwriter of the group, and it is so it's it's real heavy. And uh, it's a uh, it's uh, an anti dog fighting song. It's, it's really interesting. You mean but, uh, <laughs> anti? You mean like chicken fighting? You mean? Well, dog fighting, though. No, I know, you know but you're talking about, like, chick, dog fighting, chicken fighting bets? Yeah. Oh, oh, my Vietnamese gangster buddy, Duke Du, man. He's Duke's man. He's, like, totally into the fighting chickens, man. Oh, gosh. <laughs> He's got a whole backyard full of cages and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> That's... Oh, the stuff that people do to entertain themselves. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Man, them Vietnamese gangsters, they get down there, and, man, they go, they meet, they're like some private house, and they do up a whole bunch of dope and fight chickens and get drunk and get in fights. Golly. (laughs) Uh, Some of the friends I got, man. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. You know, you just, you come across people in your life and you're just amazed by them the way that they live the stuff that they do and they're so nice you know you can get along with them so well they seem like they're cool and and whatnot 
and and then you find out that they're you know you know cockfighting and, and <laughs> doing dope and just all kinds of some of the nicest people I ever met were druggies. Oh yeah. I mean, oh yeah. But, uh, yeah, you as know. As evidently, as long as they're not on bath salts, every, they'll do a whole. They'll do all right. <laughs> These bath salt things. I've been watching. I'm on drugs right now, and I'm looking at this. Uh, you say you're on drugs. Line. You say you're on drugs right now. No drudge. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I'm on. I'm oh, on drudge. medications that are prescribed. Oh drudge. Drudge. The drudge report. <laughs> and uh, it's got this headline: Man high on bath salts bashes elderly woman's head with a shovel. Oh yeah. That, I mean, what is? It? Do you know anybody who's ever done these bath salts? No, we used to make them when I was a kid. We used to make. Uh, we called them bath salts. They they weren't what we're talking about today. They were, it was benzoamphetamine, benzadrine. Called it bathtub benzadrine, peanut butter crank. It was like kind of gooey. It was hard to make into powder because it was kind of uh-huh. gooey and brown. But man, you'd sniff up some of that. I'm telling you what, you'd just be just bouncing off the walls. But it didn't make you want to do nothing weird. You didn't want to go go eat somebody's face off and stuff. And yeah, what is that stuff they're on? I've read about it and I've oh, looked dude. some of it up, and I'm like, what in the world are these people taking? The first time I heard this on the news, my best friend from Iran, he was telling right. me, he's he's like, yeah, did you hear about that guy? And he was he was eating the face off this other guy, this homeless guy, and uh, spitting out the whiskers, and he's like ate half his face off, and the and the cops shot him, and 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 he he didn't stop till the cops shot him dead, and. I was like, no. He goes, man, doesn't that bother you? I said, no, dude, that that doesn't really bother me. What would really bother me is if he was like pouring like mustard and ketchup on the dude first. <laughs> What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Oh my gosh, that's awful. I, I mean, I'm flinching. I just I hear about this and I'm I'm just like clenching my whole body up and I'm just like, oh, this is. So horrible! Oh, it's so horrible! Oh yeah! I just can't believe how awful this is. You know, people. Ah, oh, what I, the stuff I've been reading about lately. I mean, the world is coming unhinged. Yeah, what's bothering me? Headline: This 400-pound woman sitting naked on a on a bus stop bench. So like, what makes you do that? I mean. You're not. She wasn't even protesting anything. She's just high. Oh, just it just just high. She probably was hot. Sometimes a lot of them amphetamine derivatives they'll make you get so hot they increase your core temperature so wow. incredibly. Like ecstasy, ecstasy. Uh, you you go out dancing and stuff too much on that ecstasy, you will you will heat up to where your brain will uh, fry. Yeah, I've read about that too. They yeah, get yep. like brain temperatures of 105. Yep. Stuff and it just starts cooking it. Yep. It's like dying of a severe fever, you know, like you had a horrible, you know, like yellow chicken fever or something, but you did it because you ate them pills right there. Man, don't eat them pills. <laughs> don't take those pills. Don't you know, do it. What's bothering me more than all the dope and the weird stuff that's going on with that is live, you know. Work living in the corporate world, working for you know giant corporation, multinational corporation. I am seeing the um, I am seeing the total 
uh, breakdown of compassion, uh, of just human decency, uh, from corporation to worker. I'm seeing, it's just, that's really scaring me. You know, uh, Jesus, uh, said in Matthew 24, he said, uh, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. And that is just such a prophecy that's being fulfilled in front of my eyes. I mean, never mind the freaks that are eating people's faces, you know, like zombies. The, I'm seeing the love of many really grow cold really fast at a uh, exponential at an exponential uh, rate it's really scaring me that's what's scaring me you know that's that's a very very good observation right there that's a very good observation because people are going to the people that run the companies people all over the place they're going to feel like they have absolutely no margin for compassion right you know they just like somehow it's going to be the end of them and and believers are going to do the same thing. Oh, that's a good point. They're going to be copycatting. You know, a lot of these mega churches and, oh, you know, congregations where the pastor isn't right on top of this. Uh, they're going to they're going to slowly get, uh, you know, you know, led away from the kindness. Right. You know, and compassion that really. That's what a Christian is. I mean, Jesus said it himself. He goes, you know who a Christian is because he'll be showing love for his brother and sister. Yeah. Going to know right there. That's your sign if you want to know it. You this know. thing defines us. Yeah. And I, I, I was teaching a Bible study on uh, in Hebrews chapter 5 to a, a group of college kids. Uh, I do that every Thursday night. We meet at a Panera Bread. And it's for the local community college and and uh and we were talking about we we went from chapter five into chapter six but we were talking about that very kind of thing you know identity are are you are you identifying with christ or is your christianity kind of like a t-shirt you put on in the morning you know well yeah i'm gonna wear it today (laughs) and just you know is it convenient and and people will do so much stuff that way and uh they don't know God. You know, they just really don't know him. Yeah, I remember you or telling me that people, they'll put Jesus on like a shirt, and they'll go walking him around town, you know. That's always hit me, that what you said right there. I think about that a lot, you know. Yeah. Well, I know for me things have been really difficult, and so internally difficult. And, you know, I'm not doubting my relationship with God. I'm not thinking that he's got it in for me. I don't have any issues in that re- respect. But if if we let the one thing that differentiates us from the world go. We're done. Know, uh, we're done. And one of, the, one of the groups I follow to see what kind of things they say, whether I agree with them or not, I, can, I could be pretty. Uh, A theological pretty, snob. Well, no. <laughs> you are highly educated. I mean, you, you know, you, you could probably discern some bad theology real quick, I imagine. Well, yeah, but it's it's the involvement in in the culture, the way that they're involved in the culture, and it's the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, you know, in my basic beliefs, you know, you probably could categorize me as a Baptist, even though I've never gone to a Baptist church, you know, like attended. I've, I've been in different churches. I'm just saying I was never a member. I never went regularly to any Baptist churches. 
but you know, I believe in the priesthood of believers, and I believe in you know the the baptism, just like it's talked about in Matthew, you know, in the Great Commission, and and the other things that are distinctly Baptist, or, or it's just the free church, you know, the church that's been free from the very beginning and has kept on that thing and didn't go into Lutheranism and didn't go into Calvinism and was not trying to reform the Catholic Church. It was actually always in existence running parallel to the Catholic Church. Right. From, you know, the, the Baptists, the, the trail of tears, the trail of blood, you know, their whole thing is they, they put themselves in that category. But I don't know. That's I don't know if that's true or not. But Well, the history of the free church, which I've studied, uh, is really, really fascinating. And you're talking about a lot of very independent people who wanted very much to stay true to Scripture and to execute their church participation in, in the walk of Christ like they did in the first century church. and uh, But they've had so many different splits and so many different this and that, and it's it's been just something to see, you know, how how the, the that remnant persists. You Are know, they that, basically that the Bible going. churches? Now, uh, what do you, what do you mean? Clarify that. Well, you know the you know the Bible churches or the the four squares, the non denominational. Is that what they've turned into now? Is that where they are now? Or? No, that a lot of that stuff, the four square and whatnot, uh, that came out of a, a Pentecostal movement at oh. the turn of the nineteenth century. I think that's how you would say it. So you where know, like is 18 the 18 into 19? I'm sorry. I interrupted what? you. What? That's okay. Uh well, no, you were talking about I should just let you go cuz you were talking about the uh the free church, the the ones that have actually kept the flame going from actually the first century when people gathered in houses and uh par- public markets, you know, and had their church. Right. Uh, uh, go ahead and continue with that thought, because I I totally got in there and derailed you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. No, there's just always been, because I think this is how God wanted to do it. There's always been a remnant of believers. Sometimes it's been a large group. Sometimes it's been pretty small. That has just carried on with this very basic Christianity. Without the trappings of office, without the interference into government, you know, there's like Roger Williams founded the first Baptist church in America. And although he was only a part of that for a short time, and then he ran off and lived lived with the uh, Native Americans, but uh, the idea was very independent that we're not going to have a hierarchy that we're going to report to, like... All of the Baptist churches that you see anywhere, they're completely independent. It's the board on the in that church and that pastor. They might belong to, say, the Southern Baptist Convention, but they're utterly independent. Nobody, they don't send their money up to anybody except for missions, and they don't have to. They don't have to give their the the church's money can stay in that church for them to do what they need to do work wise, and uh, there's no hierarchy except for volunteer, voluntarily coordinating their efforts with with conventions, you know, with associations. and uh, But there's other churches out there that are just like, you know, Christian church. 
that come from those roots, the Anabaptists, you know, and they were just like, we're not going to do what these big denominations that sprung out of the, uh, uh, the, the Reformation, they're just not going to do that. They, they, they were like, you know, they didn't believe in infant baptism. Uh, and and other things like that. And like I said, the Reformation was trying to basically reform the Catholic Church. It, it was not meant to spin off Protestantism. That wasn't the point. But it didn't work, and so you had this huge schism, and you got Protestantism. Well, Baptists aren't Protestants. They they never protested anything because they were the they were the Anabaptists before they were recognized as just Baptists, and, right? And the Anabaptists were always independent. For those who don't know, the Anabaptists were a group that believed that a human cannot gain salvation by somebody sprinkling them as an infant, and whereas the uh, the other you know party that opposed them believed that you could lock in somebody's salvation if you uh, baptized them when they were a, a baby. So the right. Anabaptists said, "No, you can't do that. They have to come to they have to come to Jesus willingly and uh, you know in 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 full knowledge of you know right right." And so, and in in the first century church, there came a point in time when somebody would convert. And they would be a believer, and they might it might take up to two years of being a believer under the teaching of Scripture before they even allowed them to get baptized. And so it wasn't like as soon as they got saved, they went and dunked them. You know, the, the idea was is discipleship. And uh, I'm not saying that's what we ought to do now, but people need to understand what their baptism is about. And and the thing is, is that when you look at the history of the free church and the Reformation and what was going on was, you know, Calvinism was an official government-sanctioned religion. Uh, oh, it was was a, was an official. Yeah, I mean, Geneva was run by the Calvinists under John Calvin, and it was a theocracy. And so, you know, and and they were the ones that were terrorizing the Anabaptists and just terrorizing them. And killing them. You yeah, know, the Anabaptists have never hunted anybody. Those They've were the bloodiest. I'm sorry, but th- those were the bloodiest wars, battles fought between the Anabaptists and the ones that opposed them. I mean, it was bloody battles. Well, the Anabaptists didn't do anything to anybody. They, were, they didn't fight. They didn't. They didn't fight anybody. Except <laughs> no, but they were the, massacred in the realm of idea. But they were massacred. Yeah. Oh you know, yeah, and that's the, that's the history that the reformers have to live with. That when they did what they did, they uh, they, I mean, they were they got blood on their hands in a bad way, you know. And uh, I'm not saying that nowadays that they're you know that they're awful or anything like that. That's not what I'm getting at. It's just uh, what you said, you know, believers' baptism. That you you have to be a believer. You can't. And the thing, the reason why they did infant baptism was less theological than it was governmental and taxes because early on what happened was is, you know, people had a lot of kids and taxes were based on that kind of thing. And the only way you could register whether somebody had a child or not was through the church with them getting baptized. And so when the people would have their kid, 
the church basically said, well, you know, if the kid isn't baptized, then they're not going to heaven if something happens. And so, of course, people being afraid would go to church, they'd get the kid baptized, there would be an official registry then of this child. And then the government was was holding hands with the church, and they made this thing work as far as taxes go. And so the church sold out to, to the government way, way early on. You know, we look at our our situation today in America, and we're like, you know, so often, and this is what was, I'm kind of making this huge loop to come back around to, the, say, the Southern Baptist Convention, for instance. And they just uh, just elected an African-American for the first time. And it's been fairly uh, uh, conservative for quite some time now, since like 78, I think, they finally voted in a, a conservative because the liberals had taken over the, the Southern Baptist Convention through uh, – their delegates that were all controlling the seminaries. But um, so they have the conservative thing. Well, they come out and say some things that you're just like, oh, my gosh, how is this going to further the, the, the cause of Christ? Like? You know, well, I, I did a big study on Liberty University and Jerry Falwell, which I go to oh, Liberty yeah. Seminary, you know, and the whole thing was just like we'll partner with anybody who's conservative and uh, anti-abortion. You know, he felt, Falwell felt that was so huge, and he put together the moral majority. And right, the, yeah. the latest statement that came out of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I haven't read it all in detail. I can't tell you everything, but it had to do with gay marriage. And, oh, yeah. And I was like... Adam and, and Steve. Course, yeah, in the, in the world... <laughs> I don't support gay marriage. I I just don't. I can't. No, but we on the Iron Show support gay people coming to Jesus. Yes. I mean, you know, you can't. It's another. It's just another sin that, like any other sin, you're going to have to deal with. But you know what? Jesus loves you, and he, you know, I don't care how queer you are. Jesus wants you right where you stand. Everything else, that's going to work out later. Anyway, I I had to interrupt you there. When you become a Christian, then you then you deal with your life. You know, then you have the power to deal with your life. I had this really interesting discussion. Um, wait, Mark, wait, wait, have you ever made love to a man? No. Would you like to, white boy? <laughs> no, I'm no. just kidding. <laughs> okay. What's that guy's name in prison? What was it? Uh, I took you off the rails. I'll give you one of them old peaches conversations. Peaches. Oh, <laughs> gosh, no. Oh, Not but the peaches. interesting conversation. What was that before oh, I took you man. way off the... <laughs> that was uh, not peaches. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What's up? Oh, what's up? <laughs> not peaches. Oh. Uh, I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was like, you know... Marriage should have never left the domain of the church. It should have never been allowed to get in government hands. It's it's a uh, it's a thing that that is between God and a man and a woman, and it it has always been that way. And so, from you know from way back, we have the example of Adam and Eve. God created these two people for each other, and and He joined them. You know, like the first marriage, and and. Uh, and that sets the precedence 
And a lot of people, I, I have to ask, are we, uh, are we recording any of this? Oh, dude, it's the record button is on. Okay, all right. What's up? This is <laughs> yeah. This is this is kind of out of the way of a lot of our of our typical conversations, but we're we're kind of into it, and now we can hear some of Mark's theories on church and government. And hey. It's got nothing to do with the emotion series, other than the fact that I try not to get angry. Uh, yes, we'll take a detour here today from our uh, from our typical brutality of the emotions. Well, you know, the way I've been feeling, the way things have been going, sometimes it's just nice to sit down with a brother and talk. Yeah. And I always talk about theology and stuff like that because it's my life. my The study of God, what I do, it's it's everything to me. And so when I'm feeling down... When I'm struggling with everyday kind of stuff, you know, and I'm like I was talking about the job and how hard it is, and at the same time, I'm I'm very blessed to have it. Uh, you know, I have to remember that that's something I do. I, I'm like Paul in his tent making. You know, he needed to make money, and so he did that. But he was really there for a whole other purpose, and I have to remind myself that it's moments like this spent with you and anything else that comes from it, that this is what I do. This is like the heart of me and uh, teaching, you know, this, this college Bible study, teaching the college and career. We're preparing in August to do a class on um, we're, we're changing my college and career thing into just an adult class. And I'm going to be teaching on the attributes of God, the person of God. Ah. And that's going to be an eight week study. And uh, I'm going to do it pretty intense, you know, you know. So rather than just glazing over things, we're going to, you know, we're going to. I want to say it's going to be more collegiate than, or more academic than just, hey, God's this cool guy, you know, because yeah, he is, but dude, so so much more. I would like to take you to uh, Exodus chapter twenty three, I believe. Where God is on the mountain with Moses and he says, look at the children of Israel, my children. Look, look at what they have done. They're having an orgy in front of this stupid golden calf that they've made. I'm so angry with them. I'm going to go down in there. I'm going to destroy all of them. And Moses says, wait, wait, remember, remember you promised, you promised Abraham that you would, you know, you would make his seed into a great nation. And, and what about the Egyptians? I mean, they're going to say that you just led your people out into the desert just so you could destroy them. And they're going to badmouth you all day long. And the Lord considered the words of Moses and repented of the evil that he had sought to do unto the children of Israel. Well, that's some attributes right there that are pretty hard to swallow. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've been into these attributes too. Here's another one that just hit me the other day. I I always go through a year long Bible uh I ain't no big theologist like Mark here, but I go through the Bible in one year so every year or so. And I've come to this other place in the um it's in the book of First Kings, I'm near the end of First Kings, I believe, uh where God is in his uh we have this evil King Ahab down there ruling over Israel. Uh the Israel and Judah had split. And so the other, what was it, ten tribes in the in the south, 
or the north and Judah in the Ten south. Ten in the north and two in the south. Two in the south, that's right. So King Ahab was the ruler over, was a wicked, idolatrous ruler over the bigger portion of Israel, the ten tribes. And he was like all kinds of problems. And God, all of a sudden it zooms to God is up in heaven with his armies, his armies on the left and his armies on the right side of him. And God says, what shall we do about this wicked Ahab guy? Well, you know, I'll be taking suggestions here. <laughs> and one of the soldiers of his army steps out and he says, let me send a, a lying spirit into Ahab's prophets, uh, you know, so that they can really mess him up and send him into oblivion with bad, bad advice. And God considers what he says and he goes, Okay, I'm sure that will work. Go ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, God, you can't put God into a box. He's pretty unpredictable. Number one, in, 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 in the 23rd chapter of Exodus, we see him on the mountain and he is angry. And, uh, as, uh, as, uh, as, uh, Rabbi Mike would tell me, which is, that's almost a uh, heresy to say this to anybody else but Rabbi Mike, but the Jews have always held this ancient belief that we have the power to really hurt God's feelings when we, you know, when we go in off into our idolatry and, and, you know, just go the way of the wicked when we know better, follow after other gods and stuff. And so we have God up there, his feelings are hurt and he's angry. And he's mad. He's gonna, now he wants to destroy. And Moses calming him down. I mean, what, how do we put God in a box? This is what I'm trying to say. The attributes of God. You said attributes of God. You're teaching this college class and all this stuff just came flooding into my brain. You know? <laughs> I had to let it go. I had to let it out there, but, uh, having totally derailed you. <laughs> <laughs> let me let Fine. you get back to where you were. What, what kind of comments we do you have about those a- attributes of God that Johnny's just thrown in your face? Well, God is just, and he, he will not countenance sin. And so when he sees the nation of Israel that he's draw, brought out of Egypt, just, I mean, in no time, Moses is up on the mountain for around 40 days, I think. I mean, that's really not a long time. And all they have to do is sit around and, and, and eat. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, just, yeah. they weren't really tasked with a lot. And no. <laughs> Gather manna. Yeah, just, you know, do your thing. Chill and, out. And, and so then, and so they're just like, well, make us a God so we've got somebody to follow. When you're at the mountain, I mean, there's like thunder and lightning and, and, and things going on. So it's not as if they couldn't see something supernatural. They just wanted something they could control. You know, they couldn't control God. And that's why they're like, no, 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 no. We're not going up the mountain. You, God, don't come down the mountain. Moses, go up there and deal with him for us because we're terrified. And they're terrified for a reason because God is just and he doesn't tolerate sin. And he doesn't tolerate sin because nothing, nothing in existence can have the mastery over God. Nothing. And so if God tolerated sin, then it would have control over him. If you've ever read The Great Divorce, or anybody out there has read The Great Divorce, you see a great example of that. Uh, 
you know, in it, and I believe the line, I'm going to misquote it big time, but one of the lines that the character uses, you know, right there at, you know, at the entrance way to heaven, you could call it sort of the big garden right in front of walking deeper in, says that the joys of heaven will not be held hostage to the petty demands of humans and their emotions. And so it's it kind of breaks out like that, you know, when somebody in the story is just saying, well, you know, you don't really love me and on and on and on. And this person is glorified that has come in this celebratory manner to them saying, come in, you know, come in. And the person wouldn't do it and felt as if it was improper then for this woman to continue to be joyful because he refused to participate in it. And, and God has laid out all these different things for us to experience joy, but it all happens in the context of him being sovereign. I mean, he's just not going to put up with this stuff. And so there you have the justice and I, you know, you can look at that and the Calvinists will look at it a certain way and, and Armenians, they'll look at it a certain way, you know, whatever approach you're coming to this uh, from. And, uh, and so, but no matter what, God's not going to tolerate sin. Now, was God testing Moses? You know, when he came to that point where he's like, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to wipe these people out. Okay, was wow, this a, was, right there. Was this a test for Moses to yeah. find out if Moses was really going to advocate for the people of God or if he was going to go, hey, I'm going to buy a seat, you know, ringside seats. Uh, a Calvinist would tell you, yay, that was just a test. Well, they might. Yeah, sure they would. What do you mean they might? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense because, you know, God didn't destroy them. And everything, of course, in, in Calvinism is preordained to the sovereignty of God. Right. So it's all it's it's all written. How do we um, know God isn't a little wild and unpredictable? Well, he says he doesn't change. Sure, but that doesn't mean he's predictable. I mean, he's got to be to some degree. I mean, we have to be able to oh, count see? him keeping his promises. See the error of your logic? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I think that God does deal with things creatively. I don't think that we are going to know what he's going to do no. all the time, other than a couple different things that are just fundamental. And those are those attributes. He doesn't change. He is always good. And everything he does will glorify him. Well, let me throw a couple verses in your face right there. Uh, one of them is, is there is no uh, intellect or reason of human power against God. And here's another one for you. Uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are as high above your thoughts as the clouds are above the plains of the grass of the plains. I agree with that. So I mean, He's got to be thinking differently than I am, I hope. <laughs> I hope so, man, because I'd be messing up this universe. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd trash the joint. I'm a lousy god. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be under my sovereignty. No. <laughs> No, you do not. It would be just—it would be bad. I just have a problem with you know if you're a Calvinist or or you know or I guess the opposite would be a Arminianist or whatever. Uh, you know, I don't want. I'm not here to you know offend you. I and I am no theologian or nothing. But I one thing I do have a problem with, and 
is that is is people that try to put God in a box where they can put rules on him, say what he will do and won't do, what he can't do and cannot, you know, can do and cannot do. You know, fitting God into a, a perfect little box where you can predict his every little move and give him rules that he has to live by. I I am against that type of uh, idea myself. I I just don't think that you have the I don't think you can predict him. Uh, you know, he, the God does what he wants. I mean, you, so, you know, God, you know, you would say that he would behave this way only. Well, then why, why, you know, why did he let Moses talk him out of destroying the nation of Israel? Or, or why, why did he, at least on two separate occasions, decide to send a lying spirit into somebody to totally mess them up? I mean, you know, God does what he wants is my theology. I guess that could change in time, but I don't see how you can put him in a box is my only thing. I hate well, to, I'm not I'm not trying to put him in a box. No, I know. I'm just no, I'm not talking about you. Oh, okay. No, you're right. <laughs> Mark's like he's talking about me. Oh, Who's this punk oh, thing man. he is? No, I think there's plenty <laughs> of people that what they try to do is 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 make God safe. They want to make him safe, yeah. And they want to make it. They want to make it so that they can, you know, ring the bell and the heavenly butler comes and <laughs> does whatever they need. You know, they've they've made faith all about themselves. Once around the park, James. Do you have an agrippa pawn? So so they've made they've made the whole thing Christianity. They've made the faith all about themselves, and yeah. it's like, what can I what can I get out of God today? You know, and it's not, you know, when my feet hit the floor in, in my bedroom, more often than not, the first thing I talk to God about is, okay, how can I best serve you today? You know, and then I pray something very much like the Lord's Prayer, because I do believe that my daily bread comes from God. I believe very firmly in the verse that says, don't worry about tomorrow, because today has enough trouble of its own, because I experience that trouble all the time. Can I recite the Lord's Prayer for you? Sure. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we would forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the honor and the glory forever. Amen. It's like my favorite prayer, man. I like got that one memorized. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and a study of, the, of, the, of the, the language of that when Jesus gave this to them was, you know, we take it real easy. Uh, through repetition or whatever's happened, that the Lord's Prayer in a lot of ways has is, is gotten neutered. Um, yeah. I like the that, how the Catholics and, do it. Our Father, how do you how do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they, what, it's lost its emphasis. If, if I were going to, like, from the Greek into English, oh. it would be Our Father. First of all, and so you've got the recognition that God is the father and that he is all of his children's father, that we're in this together. And then hallowed. I mean, think about when 
in Revelation, you've got those angels that are just there to say over and over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And repetitions of words in the Greek and in the Hebrew is emphasis. So it goes like holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's the very same emphasis in the language that is supposed to be going on with hallowed be your name. Oh, holy, holy, holy. I mean, if I were standing in front of a group of people preaching, I mean, I'd be getting loud. Could you give us a modern rendition of the word hallowed? The way I understand it is several words combined, English words combined into one, like feared, uh, respected, uh, revered, uh, holy. Is am I if I'm am I wrong or? Yeah, no, it's it's a combination of all those kinds of things. Utterly, it's like recognizing the transcendence of God. You know, this the set apart, holy. Uh, Revered. Utterly consecrated, revered. It's one of those things where when you really want to express hallowed be your name, it's almost like <clears throat> you would never, ever, ever, your heart condition is such that you would never, ever, ever abuse that, that it is so sacred that you would never, ever take that lightly, that it would not ever be something that you just were like, hey, God, hey, hallowed be your name, dude. Or using Jesus as your favorite cuss word, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, that's that's uh, not a recognition of the hallowedness of, of God's name, the holiness, the otherness, this thing. I mean – it's just about impossible to offend Johnny. I'm a longshoreman, you know. It is pretty yeah. hard to offend me. I mean, you can say f words in front of me all day and all night, and I won't even I won't even twitch an eyebrow. But man, you use Jesus for your cuss word. I'm going to speak right up and say, "Yeah, I know him," and it's going to bother you. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard people say this, and I'm, this is a quote, okay? Because I've done this to throw people off. They'll be like. Jesus, and I'll be like, you can just call me Mark. <laughs> oh, yeah, or or your or your royal highness would be would suffice. <laughs> Genuflect now. I yeah. I've been in some really ugly situations where scary people have said Jesus is their cuss word, and I'll just go, I know him. <laughs> and they always just stop, and there's this look. Yeah, they don't know what to do with that. Yeah, and, yeah you, you can see the wheels cranking in their little brains there. Yeah, and I, I've heard other people say this. I, I think something that bears out the truth of Christianity is just how much it gets attacked, and other gods do not. I never hear anybody use Buddha's name in vain. Never. I just don't. Yeah, I don't hear anybody bad mouthing Allah. Yeah, you know, using Allah as a cuss word, or even Muhammad. You know, you're not supposed to bad mouth these guys in their own religious context. I never hear. Uh, I never hear uh, angry Nazis saying Adolf Hitler. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and and so you've got to wonder why is it that the God of Christianity, who is the one true God, why is he the one always getting disrespected and i think it's because he's the only one that can truly actually get disrespected yeah I mean, not only that other, but all these other things are mythology yeah. and so it doesn't have any significance for me to go you know 
Oh, epiphany. Whoa moment. Yeah, they, that's okay. Now I've just, you just opened my eyes. Man, I, that's what I live for in the Iron Show. So they're cussing at Jesus because they actually believe in him because everybody has a measure of faith, whether you admit it or not. We're, we're either on his side or we're rebellious. Oh, that's, so you really believe in him. So he's the only one you can really disrespect because he's the only one you actually believe is real. Right. Somewhere, somewhere in there is the real God. You know, the the God who transcends and yet is imminent, he's there, and he's the one that we're either going, your kingdom come, or beat it, I don't want anything to do with you. There and are so, people who have a huge amount of faith uh, that totally hate Jesus. Aleister Crowley, he was totally, totally sold on Jesus. He totally believed who he was, and he decided not to follow him, but to follow the devil instead. Right. He was a believer. Aleister Crowley was a true believer. People don't just, realize that. So but they don't want to be told what they're told, you know, and they came up with this whole thing, you know, that Satanism is based on that what happened in the garden was a lie and that foundation you know, that, of Gnostics. Yeah. And you get this whole thing where and everything is is against Christianity. You know, if you look at genuine pagans that basically develop their entire theology outside of any influence of Judaism or Christianity. You know, they've got, you know, millions of gods, like the Hindu, which comes down to like three gods and then maybe one god, but it's a, it's a mess, and it's all pantheistic. And you look at it, and, the, and it's like, well, who are you going to rebel against? There's nobody to fight. You just pick a deity, and that's the one you hope treats you right. And so you build a little altar in your house, and you put food and money down there for this thing to consume, and you just hope it's going to be okay. And it's just that, you know, it's like sacrificing a goat to get good crops. It's just superstition, and you're hoping for the best. You know, but there's nobody to rebel against. But in Christianity, we've had somebody come to earth and say, I'm it. Not, I know it. Everybody else is like, I know it. I know how to get, you know, uh, enlightenment. I can lead you to this. I can do this. I can do that. You know, Jesus is like, I am it. And people hate that. Oh, yeah. And so when you're saying that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, you know, people hate that. And so when you say, you know, hallowed be your name, you are utterly glorifying God. You are recognizing him for who he is, and you're you're looking at that, and you're going, absolutely, there is no other. It's not even like you're the best. There's no other. There let's, just isn't. Let's go and, further. Oh, no. Sorry. Well, no. No, that's cool, because then you get next to, I believe thy name, your kingdom come. Right. And, and you'll read it differently in different English languages, you know, or translations. But the idea is that they're they're not just saying hey your kingdom come they're imploring god oh. to to take over the rest of it it's like we see how things are now now come and and rule absolutely you know just utterly and completely rule as the ultimate sovereign your kingdom come that's us agreeing with him that he has the right 
simply by who he is to rule. And then when we say your will be done, you, I mean, this is something that is so declarative. You know, it's very much like the hallowed be your name. It's one of those things where you're so, so declaring it as truth that it would be something where you would be getting loud, you know, and it would be just, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's like if you were on your knees begging God to get in your life and straighten things out, and you're just absolutely certain, without doubt, that he is the one, and you are utterly and completely submitted to him. Your will be done. That's just like Jesus in the garden, who was facing death, sweat, and blood. I mean, he was just in a hard place. And he says, your will be done. Yeah, not my, but, you know, if you can if you can keep this from happening and do it another way, please. But, you know, otherwise, but not your, not my will, but your will. Right. And you look at it, and the prayer makes sense. First, you recognize God. Then you recognize God's authority. And then you implore God's authority to be put in place in yourself and in your world. So, so you know... So, well, I've heard it both ways. I've heard it both ways, and so I guess you would lean on the other way. One way is uh, when you say, thy kingdom come, it's like, please bring your kingdom, or your kingdom is coming. And then somebody else has told me, well, no, it doesn't mean that. It means your kingdom has come. But what you're saying is, is you're actually kind of begging God to bring his kingdom because, you know, look, this place is a mess. Bring your kingdom. Well, it's not really like that either, though, is it? It's more like it's more like I'm um, saying bring your kingdom and bring your will or maybe I don't know. What do you what do you think? Well, about? think about it. He's telling these believers, these disciples, he's telling them individually, I mean, they're a group, but he's telling them individually how to pray. Yeah, this is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. Like, after and this so manner. me as an individual, you know, I'm not talking about the church all getting together and, and mispraying, you know, the healing of their land, which was a promise to the Jews, and that was it. You know, once once we're post-Jesus, once once Jesus has come, he has changed everything. Everything becomes individual. And so our relationship with God becomes an individual thing. We have moved away from the Jewish community and the right to be a person of God because of an ethnicity. Right. Or, and so, so this prayer is an individual prayer. And so the only way that the kingdom of God can come, and Jesus said the kingdom of God is coming, indeed it is here. Right. And so it's one of those, it's here and it's coming even more. Okay. You're going to get okay. even more of it. So the answer is both. The kingdom right. has come, and it's coming more. It will come. And what you're asking for is, is more of God's sovereignty in your life. You're oh. trying to surrender by declaring it. You're trying to surrender more of your life to him. And that's an individual way of looking at it. And, and there's people that might not agree with me. They might have a different take on it. But I know experientially, and when I look at it, that you're asking God, you're imploring God to bring his righteousness, his kingdom, everything that his kingdom has to do with into your life and into your world. And so, you know, when I think about 
the difficult situations I find myself in, if I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, then that is my whole goal for my life and for that day. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. So his will is getting done. It is, it is happening, and now you are saying declaratively, you have the right to rule. It would be like introducing the king, you know, and the king, what the, whatever the king says, oh. no. and so you're just declaring, you know, it, it, it'd be oh. like, you know, uh, when they announce, the, you know, the queen of England walking out yeah. and she's the queen of England and, you know, great Britannia and the emperor of the Falkland Islands and the whatever sovereign of Canada and all these titles and all these things that this person inhabits in, in everything. And so if God were walking in the room, I'd be like, this is the Lord God Almighty whose reign is forever, and he alone has the kingdom. This is his kingdom by his sovereign will. He alone has the right to have his will be done in this world. He alone. And so it's that thing, and we're caught. It's like when, you know... you know when they introduced the president of the United States to the yeah. joint sessions of Congress? I got to tell ladies you. Ladies and gentlemen, and he's like pounding on the floor with the stick, and he's like, the president of the United States. Right. And it's all like this that. stuff that comes with that respect-wise, you know, for respect for the office and, and who this guy is. And everybody wants to glad handle the dude. Everybody wants to get on the aisle and shake his hand and be seen with the president. Right. And they're recognizing who he is. And he's getting all this, you know, adoration and everything because he's the president. Well, it's even so much more with an infinite God. And so you get past that. Um, Were you going to add something to that? Well, I just, when you were talking about the queen, I just, I kept having having those lyrics from the queen haters floating into my head. You know, she taxes me to death. I can't afford me dope. I'd like to get a high. That'd be a laugh. I hate the bloody queen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, man. Once Sorry, again, dude. I've totally derailed you. <laughs> totally derailed. Utterly off the What's track. Up? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta bring everybody back. So oh. no, so we're we're talking about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You're talking about how you know how it's almost like well it's not only is it like total uh, declaration to god of your surrender you know and your kingdom coming on the earth and your will be done not my will but yours it's right. also like like uh when they annou- like announce the the king of england or the president you know you're it's like a call it's all it's like a call to yourself for respect exactly and, exactly and it's a recognition and to be able to do that Correctly, you have to spend time in the Word understanding who God really is. You know, because if if you don't really know who He is, when you say those words, they have a certain hollowness to them because they don't have the depth of maturity that they need. And so, in our own lives, we have to we have to build that maturity. You know, so when I say, you know, our Father, I understand what that means. What does it mean for God to be our Father? You know, and, and there's scripture that explains all of that kind of stuff. And, yeah, and, I mean, he's and our I, creator for one thing. Right. I mean, right off that, right off the bat, right there, that ought to tell you just about everything. 
Yeah, I walk outside at night and I look around and and, and I'm amazed. Oh. And and it, and it's one of those things like how can I even express the majesty of God? And majesty, I, I, I have looked and looked and looked for a definition of majesty and finally found something other than using the word in the definition, majesty, something that's magisterial, you know? Like, or that's something that's majestic. Up, majestic, yeah. So, well, great, you know? And I found out that the word majesty means singular, so you've got only got one queen of England, you know, there is only one God, his majesty, his onlyness. It's and it's so it's like in that. Oh, he is utterly and completely apart from us, just utterly and completely. And when we recognize that, yeah, I mean, he just makes his presence that much more real in our life because we're recognizing if I walked into the room with the queen and I just started saying, hey, yo, Elizabeth, what's up? Chances are good she's not going to talk to me. <laughs> she would get away from me, you bloody yeah, peasants. Yeah, I mean, you know, they'd reinstitute real, you know, real jail time at the Tower of London. Um, <laughs> Lock you away in the dungeon. <laughs> but I'm, you know, I have to recognize who God is. I have to realize that. And it's something that as Christians we grow into, you know, through the study of the word and that kind of maturity. And the Lord's Prayer is so huge, and we've had it watered down, and, and people, you know, it's it's kind of like the 23rd Psalm. Yeah. You know? it, I mean, it says in the 23rd Psalm, and I was thinking about this last night, because I struggle with fear a lot, and, um, you know, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, uh, and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Right. Well, that's the world, man. <laughs> We've talked about that in our fear series. I'd like to drag everybody back to download, uh, you know, or listen to our fear series, uh, you know, that we have uh, that we had uh, gotten through on the. Uh, on you know as an element of our human emotions series, I believe it starts around Iron Show thirty one or so then we have a four-part fear series and we cover all of that there so if you guys want to go back there and listen i'd encourage that because our fear series is absolutely if you ask me it's essential for the christian to hear i mean <laughs> yeah that's that's cool i'm glad that you feel that way i definitely do i people need to deal with their fear you know uh, and, and it comes in so many forms but, but this yeah, is one of those things where it can kind of you know, it's not the litany against fear, which you and I always joke about. No. But, <laughs> but, the, but the Lord's Prayer is putting ourselves in posture is a word I use a lot. But it puts us in the correct posture for dealing with all the things that are coming our way that day. You know? Right. And so we immediately recognize, you know what? God is sovereign. He is able. He, his will will be done. We want his will to be done. On earth, in us, we're declaring it just as it's like I'm, I've made the decision and the decision will not change. Your will be done in me just like it's being done in heaven. In other words, he says go and those angels go. Yeah. Nobody is like, well, dude, why? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, no. he sends and, and, and 
receives and, and however it happens in heaven. But just like a sovereign, and this is kind of how my prayers have been going lately, I really do my utmost to picture God on the throne, my Father, and unlike a king on this earth who has no real power, my God, my Father, can do anything. And so it makes perfect sense that I come to him, recognize who he is, and then I can ask him for the next part of this, which is give us this day our daily bread. We're asking him, Lord, please meet my needs. You're the only one who can. We've already spent all this time saying that you are the sovereign God and your will is right, good, and must be done. And it must be done in our lives and in our heart. And then we recognize that everything that we have, yes, I go to work, I do things, I come home, I do things, you know, I get money for certain things, but I recognize that everything that I need comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. That's what it says in James. So every good thing comes from God. And so I have to recognize And if I recognize it, then he's the guy I'm going to ask. Give us this day our daily bread. It's like, who else are you going to ask for that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm not going to get up and say, all right, Mark, give me this day my daily bread. You could go down to the store and ask them for some bread, or you could go to the farmer and ask him for some bread, but we all know ultimately where that bread's going to be coming from. It ain't going to be coming from anywhere but God. You know, a lot of us guys in our uh, modern America, we may have a problem with that because we wake up and we got a whole refrigerator that we can't even close the door closed on it because there's so much food on it. And we're going, give us this day our daily bread. You know, what what do you have to say to that? Everybody handles it differently. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I can run out real fast and you'll have nothing. Yeah, yeah. And then you go get your Kroger points for cheaper gas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's yeah. This prayer is so much a recognition of who God is. Well, you know, but I was hoping you'd hit me with something really wise, you know, like the big theologian that you are and say, well, you know, our daily bread just isn't food only, God, because Jesus said, God, man shall not live by bread alone. Well, yeah, I figured you knew it. I'm messing with you now. (laughs) I figured you knew it. I wasn't just going to tell you something you already knew. Oh, but the listeners might not have thought of that. I I think that that it is just like that. You know, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And God speaks things into existence. We know that. And so uh, I believe that everything that we're dealing with every day is like Jesus talked about, you know, not even a sparrow falls to the ground that my father doesn't know it. Don't you think he's going to take care of you? Yeah. And then he says, don't worry what you're going to eat and drink. In other words, don't give undue thought and concern to these external things. But why are we then asking him to give us our daily bread in the prayer? Because, again, it's a recognition of who he is. Okay. We know that. He's the only one that can get who am, like okay. I said, who am I going to ask? Me? Okay. I, I don't have the means to do that. I have to recognize that where I live, 
the home I have. And this is where stewardship comes in then. Then you understand stewardship so much better because you realize that you're loaning or you're borrowing everything from God. You know, he owns it all. And so when I ask him for something, I have to ask him for, for this stuff. I wake up in the morning and I ask God to get me through the day recognizing that he's the only one that can get me through that day. And that's a form of bread, right? That's like asking for bread, right? Yeah, because I need emotional bread, you know? Yeah. I need need strength to to step out into the world and engage. Yeah, and what do we get strength from? Our body gets strength from bread. Right. So we need strength. We need nutrition from – for all kinds of things like our emotions and our spirit, you know, right? That's that's bread, right? That's what we're yes. I I agree completely. I mean, I I believe that this verse, when you say "Give us this day our daily bread," you're asking God to meet your needs. Period. That it is utterly comprehensive. You know that you you understand that, and it falls perfectly in line with the idea of manna. God tried to get these people to understand what manna was for, and so He made it. So it was good for a day, and then it was gone, and then it was just unusable. He was trying to get people to be dependent on him and to recognize him as the only source, the only place where it comes from. And it makes sense then, looking at how manna only lasted a day, then you're only asking for a day's worth. Right. Well, like, what? Okay, so you're like... Um... You know, admitting that, you know, I can't get past one day without you. Uh, Exactly. And you're also also saying, look, I'm not going to think about tomorrow because, like Jesus said, tomorrow's evil enough all by itself without you worrying about it. Right. And making it worse. Has enough trouble of its own. Right. And so he's trying to get us away from worry because worry is, is the biggest waste of energy. Anybody can have. Oh, but it's so fun. (laughs) You know, worry is something that we do that we feel that somehow gives us some amount of control. Yeah, if I'm worried about this, then uh, I'll have control over it somehow. No, you won't. Yeah, I mean, when worry is, is utterly present when uncertainty is guaranteed. That sounds yeah. like a very strange sentence. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you were when, certain, when yeah. uncertainty is guaranteed, yeah, there will be one. worry. Because worry has no power at all. You know, worry is the stuff that we do, then we blame someone else. What about somebody who's... What about somebody who says, well, you know, if I don't keep worrying, then I'll just let the daisies grow and never take care of anything. Well, they need to get a life. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're, you're wasting all your energy on everything that can't happen. Or might not happen or could happen and then you have to deal with it. So there's a difference between worrying and making wise choices. You know, they're thinking, well, if I'm not worrying all the time, I won't make good choices. Well, that's not true either, is it? No. No, because worry is a bad choice. Ah. Starting off on the wrong foot already. Ah. Worrying is one of those things where you're expending energy in the realm of God's sovereignty. Oh, oh, wow, yeah. Oh, there's another aha moment on the Iron Show. On the Iron Show. <laughs> yeah, that's a trip, man. When you're worried, you're extending yourself into God's territory. 
Yeah. Whoa. Yep. And, he, and he just says very That's clearly, deep. you know, petition me. You know, whatever you need to do, pray about it. I already know about it. But pray about it. Everything that you need to do, you come to me. And worry is not going to God. You know, if you're praying in an authentic way, Lord, I'm very concerned about this. This is heavy on my heart. And you're praying for the salvation of a loved one or you're praying for whatever, you know. We have to do that. We're supposed to do that. Bring. We're supposed to bring our needs before God. But worry is when we're not bringing our needs before God, but we're consumed with something. You know, like right now, you know, I could be in doubt. And doubt is such a huge part of worry. I could be in doubt about, let's say, is my wife angry with me? Right. The absence of certainty is definitely doubt, right? And so, yeah. And so I can either deal with it or I can sit here and expend my energy wondering, you know, what's going to happen? Is she going to whatever? You know, is she going to get mad at me? Is she going to throw something at me? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? <laughs> She's going to stand just, there looking at you, and it's going to make it worse. <laughs> She's going to think you're stupid. Yeah. I mean, and and I, I'm going to do something. She'll probably never hear this, so it's probably all right. <laughs> Don't count on it, buddy. No, go ahead. Yeah, my luck. Um, my mother-in-law has been a worrier. And so... What happens is is a worrier kind of sucks the life out of you. It's just like, well, I don't know. Oh, yeah. You know, they won't accept certainty. Right. They won't accept things like that. And uh, You know, I heard the definition of uh, happiness was seeing your mother-in-law on a milk carton. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's that's not funny. What's up? Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's that's horrible, dude. Oh, I like my mother-in-law. I get a good mother-in-law. She'll probably listen well, to do, this. I do too. My mother, Just my mother-in-law joke. is really, really. Actually, she's such a sincere Christian, and uh, she cares tremendously. But she right. worries. But she worries, and it's taxing on the people around her. Well, yeah, because it, what happens is, is the energy that you need to be spending in relationship, your worry is self-centered. You know, it's worry no matter oh. what she might be thinking. Oh, okay, Jenny's on this trip. My wife's name is Jennifer. Driving down to Florida, whatever. All right? she's She will say, and she might not do this. I don't know anymore. Um, but in the past, she might say, well, I really hope everything goes okay. I really hope everything goes okay. You know, they're on the road, and it's dangerous, and all kinds of things can happen. And, you know, and she's worrying, and she's got this just constantly fixated in her mind the whole time that Jenny's on the road, there's this dread feeling in her stomach or whatever. Well, that's not concern for Jenny. That's concern for her losing her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's concern for how am I going to deal? How's it going to make me feel? What's going to happen to me when I lose somebody? Yeah. How am I going to (laughs) cope? It's like, forget about the person who's going to die, you know? <laughs> it's like, what's going to happen to me? That's why. So it's so self centered. It's so selfish, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's very self centered. And it walks in the guise of being not self centered, it walks in the guise of genuine concern. Yeah, and it does too. It looks, for all practical purposes, like genuine concern. 
but but it but it isn't. Oh and, wow! And so you know, if I'm driving and I know, uh, and I'm not going to pick on my mother-in-law anymore, but uh, you know, let's I'm I'm going to pick a, a a person who's not around anymore, which this wasn't actually true of was my mom. I'm going to throw my mom in here as the example, uh, who I'm just going to make stuff up about. So everybody, I'm just making. Why stuff don't you up. make stuff up? Why don't you make stuff up about my mama? That'll work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, then we can get in the fight, and we can go back to the anger series. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say you know I'm flying across the country, and I'm going to see her, and and she's worrying, and she tells me, "Well, I'm you know I really hope everything goes okay," and 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 then what happens to me is I get distracted. And I start thinking about her well-being. Like, well, you know, what if I get delayed at the airport? Great. I'm going to have to hear how, you know, how upsetting this is for her because she really wanted this to be okay. And You see what I mean? And right. so it, it, it just sucks energy off of. Oh, so worry, it, worrying is self-centered for a purpose, and that's to get somebody else to feed our, to feed our needs. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so we're, we're trying to, to suck that energy out of somebody else, and then we are mad at them when, uh, when they don't respond to our worry, like, oh, I'm so glad that you're worried about me. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to say that to somebody. If somebody tells me they were worried about me, and I'm going to tell them, I'm just going to ask them, well, why? And they'll be like, well, you know, I know that this has been really hard, and uh, I'm like, well, why didn't you call? So not only is worrying uh, self-centered and all about me, but it's also diabolical, trying to draw energy from other people to me, to feed yeah, me. It's, uh, to feed me, to feed my fear. Whoa. And, and so, again, and the easiest way to look at it is that which is not a faith is sin. Yeah. And it says that right in Scripture, and you're like, okay, well – you have to deal with the worst things right up front then. Let's say, okay, I'm going to be flying. You know, if mom were still alive living in Arizona, flying from Nashville to Arizona, and she's concerned about the flight, hey, look, I'm either going to get there or I'm not. Right. That's the reality of it. That's and the reality. so you have to accept, you have to plan ahead for the death of, the loss of what you care about. And people don't want to do that. They would rather worry. You know, rather than face themselves and their fears and what they need to do, you know, rather than just ask the Lord for their daily bread and put everything else into his keeping, understanding that his thoughts are not my thoughts and that his, his thoughts are so far above me that he might say, well, Mark dying on this plane is going to do the world a whole lot more good than Mark landing safely in Arizona. And do you a whole lot more good, maybe. Yeah, so I have to, you know, like Paul said, you know, you know, absent from the body is to be with the Lord. And right, so, so I have right to look there. at it that way. And in and, and my own, you know, I don't, I understand how airplanes work. And I'm, I know I'm just using planes. Driving's a lot more dangerous. But, but it's one of those kinds of things where, you know, if I don't respond, and I dealt with this with my mom with other things, if I didn't respond the way that she wanted to, 
and she got upset because she was, you know, all wrapped up in something, then that just shows me that she wasn't caring about me. She was really caring about herself. She really didn't want to have that experience lost. You know, and again, it was one of those things like, how's this going to affect me? How's this going to affect me? What am I going to do? And so really, when your mother's worried about you uh, dying in an airplane, coming to visit her, your proper response to her should be, well, yeah, mom, I probably am going to die on this airplane. You better. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure she just loves that. You got some funeral arrangements planned? You better get moving. Who's paying for the casket? You know? uh, I'm going to get the airplane pilot high on the way over, mom. Increase my chances. Oh, man. I'm going to throw a spark plug into the turbine fans. <laughs> it's it's so hard, and yet it's so simple. Or a chicken. That would be better. I'm going to throw a chicken into the fans of the jet turbine. Oh, man. I've seen <laughs> bird strikes, dude. I've worked on planes that had them. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Man, you do not want to throw a chicken into a jet engine. No. No, you don't. Especially, oh, I, I mean... Bird strikes smell horrible. It's so bad. But anyways. Oh, I bet. It's, it's not like barbecue. It's like barbecuing with diesel. <laughs> it is just not good. But, but, but So what, what would you say to somebody who's worrying about you? I mean, what would be the proper response, you know, aside from Johnny's twisted humor? <laughs> <laughs> well, every, you know – when you're like I am, kind of built like I am, sort of in teacher mode lots of times, when I when I pick up on that from somebody, then I see it as an opportunity to help them become more aware of how they need to just trust God. And and it's just one of those things. I'm like, you know what? God's got this. I'm not worried about it. The Lord's the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So you tell them, reminding them, look, you just got to trust God, and I'll tell you what, maybe you're worried, but I'm not, so think about that. Yeah, yeah, and you don't let, you don't respond to their worry the way that they want you to. Okay, how do they want you to respond to that worry? What will feed well, their I worry? Well, I mean, they want you to appreciate it, and they want you to think that it's some kind of gift that they're giving to you. Oh. You know, my worry is a present, and now you owe me some thanks here, because... I gave you something nice. I worried about you. So I'm what you're like, supposed to say is, don't worry about me. You're killing me. What are you trying to do to me? <laughs> <laughs> what, do you want me to die? <laughs> yeah. Well, what? What? Come on. But it, it's like that. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's like giving somebody a gift card to a place that doesn't exist. <laughs> it's that worthless. Man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a good one, dude. That's good. Worrying is like giving somebody a gift card to a store that doesn't exist. (laughs) You can't get anything out of it. Oh, what a wonderful gift. You can't get anything for it, but it looks pretty. Yeah, I got you 50 here to, you know, dollar kernel instead of dollar general. I, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where you just can't do anything with it. And if the person feels like they're obligating you by their worry then there's that dysfunctionalism going on and you have to you have to work with them on it and go you know what don't worry about me your worrying just makes you tired by the time i finally get there 
Yeah, it's very you draining know. to me. You don't quit worrying about me. You're killing me. Was, would that be a good thing to say to him, or would that just throw guilt on him and <laughs> not really help? It just depends on the kind of relationship you've got with him. Oh. This sucks, Mom. God. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Don't worry about them gift cards. You make me hungry. I was thinking about. I was thinking about that gift card I got from Kentucky Fried Alien. Oh, you make me hungry playing my alien eyeballs. <laughs> Kentucky Fried Alien. Oh ain't, my gosh! Oh yeah, you my, almost... ain't nothing like an old alien in the broaster. Oh my gosh, we do a nice slow roast on our aliens. Live nerves oh. and spices. Oh my. Slice, slice them thin. Oh, with all that juice, just just savor itself. Now let me so. hit you. <laughs> let me hit you with some uh, some theology that I picked up here from a favorite teacher of mine. Now I'm not all you know. I'm not really sure that he's right on this, but I'm really a big fan of Bob George. He's out of Texas. Uh, People to People Ministries. I don't know if you ever heard heard of him, but uh, actually, I, I haven't. You haven't. Well, he's real popular on um, on about half the Christian stations. The other Christian stations won't have him on because he's way too grace centered. But he has an extreme grace theology that I really appreciate, you know. And I'm not sure he's altogether right, you know, on everything he says. But uh, I do believe in in a fairly extreme form of grace, but. You know, he he said uh, as we as we were going along through here our journey through the Lord's Prayer. You know, and Mark's theologically breaking it down for us. You know, we come to uh, you know forgive us our trespasses as we would forgive those who've trespassed against us. And um, well, Bob George would tell you in the extreme grace camp, he would tell you that. If you look at what see well first of all he would tell you that while Jesus was alive he taught under the law but after he uh was crucified and returned and resurrected he taught under the new covenant under grace and so you can actually uh according to Bob George you can separate the things he said before the cross from the things he said after the cross and get a more thorough new covenant uh, dispensation of grace theology that's more accurate. So, and and one of the things that he contends, in, you know, in light of that view, is that Jesus said um, before the cross, when he was teaching under the law, that uh, if you don't forgive others the sins they've committed against you, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you but then after the cross he said forgive others as your father has already forgiven you and that's what the lord's prayer says it does say forgive other you know forgive us our trespasses yeah, as we would forgive those who've trespassed against us that it does bring that new covenant flavor into that uh into that you know that area, you know, of Christianity. And well, what do you think about that? What do you think about that whole idea that I've just gone over with you? Well, theologically, I think uh, the incarnation of Christ ushered in the new covenant. Um, okay. I I just think that there's no way in the world you can take three years 
of everything that Jesus taught and say that it didn't count just because of the cross. Right. I now, just, I don't know if he would say it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm sure that he wouldn't go that far, uh, you know, to say that it doesn't count, but that it has sort of a different flavor. I don't know. I, I'm not, I can't speak intelligently on it, but, you know, I'm just thinking about how almost how impossible it really is to forgive others without God helping you do it. That's what I'm thinking about right now. Say that again. I'm thinking about, you know, Jesus said if you don't forgive others, then before the cross he said if you don't forgive others, then God won't forgive you, basically. I mean, I'm paraphrasing him, but, you know, and then, but, you know, in light of the new covenant teaching where he says forgive others as God forgives you, um, I'm thinking that that seems to make more sense in light of my own personal experience where I've found that it's very impossible to forgive other people uh, unless God is helping you in the first place forgive them. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm digging something out here, one of my books. Hang on a second. Um, I have my interlinear, which is the Greek to English exactly. Okay, we're going to get down to brass tacks. It's going to sound like Yoda speak. Um, I look at this a lot, and you know, Jesus gave a parable that I think it kind of speaks to this. Um, and it's it's when he talked about, you know, the guy who goes before God and says, you know, or the the guy who has his note, and it's like a million worth a million bucks or something like that, and he's like, I can't pay you back, I can't pay you back, you know, and he's like, well, I'm going to throw you in prison until every cent's paid back. And the guy's like, well, there's just no way in the world I can pay you back. And, uh, and, and so he's forgiven. And then he goes out and finds somebody that owes him 15 bucks and starts beating him down. And he's like, you have to forgive me. You have to forgive me. Or, you, ha-, you know, he's like, you got to pay me. You got to pay me. That's what I meant. And, uh, and the guy's like, I don't have it, but I'll get it for you. I just, I don't have it. And he has the guy thrown in jail, you know, and, and, uh, and Jesus is like, you know, this is totally wrong, just just totally wrong. And uh, I think that is kind of an explanation of uh, the dynamic that is in that passage. You know, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I'm looking up right now in uh, Matthew uh, 6. Give me just a second. I know it's boring to have somebody flipping pages, but I really think it's important that we look at it straight how how it would have come out. I don't want to um, I don't want to say it wrong. Okay, that's what Let's the see. edit machine's for. Yeah, that's it, man. We can just cut that out. Okay, in the interlinear, uh, this is how the whole prayer goes. It says, "Father of us, the one in the heavens." Let be revered the name of you. Let come the kingdom of you. Let be done the will of you. As in heaven, also on earth. The bread of us daily give to us today. And forgive us the debts of us, as we also, as also we have forgiven the debtors of us. So, you get, uh, you get a kind of a different sort of take on it and forgive us the debts of us as also we have forgiven the debtors of us. 
Right. So you're going into it assuming that you have already forgiven, you know. Exactly. Right. You know, and it says in scripture, if you have ought against your brother before you come to the Lord at his altar, you go straighten it out with your brother. Right. You have to do the work to get your heart into the condition it needs to be in to even seek forgiveness from God. And if you're holding something against somebody, God can't forgive you because you're not asking for it. Okay, so oh, okay, that holds that throws a whole different spin on it then. Yeah, and and there's people who are going to look at that and go, "Well, that's not what it says." I'm talking about reading it and saying, "Well, you know, can we be forgiven if we're not forgiving if we're not actually looking for it if we think you know we're, no, we're no. righteous and so I, I just believe that uh, that we you know it's commanded of us if we have ought against our brother to go get it straightened out and then approach God plus what you're saying which is the whole new aha moment for me is that if you're not going to your brother and working it out in the first place then you aren't really even asking for forgiveness yourself. Yeah, if you think about it being one offense on the record, you know, uh, it would be like me going to God and saying uh, that I don't need forgiveness because this guy was wrong, you know? Right. Well, maybe both of us were wrong, and I need to go to God and say, I really need to be forgiven of this. And God's going to say, well, go straighten it out with, with your guy. And you're like, you well, know, I don't want to. And then God's like, are, well, are you serious well, or then, not? Then you're not really asking for forgiveness, aren't you? Right. Because forgiveness, forgiveness always comes with the idea of repentance, you know, a change of heart. You know, we can't just keep going. Yeah, we can. But, uh, you know. <laughs> and <also>, we do. <laughs> Paul said, you know, God forbid that we should think that we can just keep on sinning, that grace may abound. Um, but, you know. Here's here's if somebody came to me, well, people kind of are in this in this context, and they're like, you know, I would say just keep asking for forgiveness. Don't stop asking for forgiveness. Never let your heart get to a place where you're not asking for forgiveness. Amen. Ask the Lord to reveal, you know, like David prayed, you know, reveal any wicked way in me. And oh, and yeah. and you- so we need to be in that kind of posture. And then and then I understand that. Oh, yeah. That uh, I'm going to be forgiving other people. I'm not even going to be holding accounts. You know, it says in the, uh, the love chapter, you know, love no keep, love keeps no record of wrong. And so I'm not going to be holding it against people when things occur. I'm not going to be, you know, it's like Jesus said on the cross, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I know when people mistreat me that they're ignorant. They're either ignorant of God or they're ignorant of me or both. Right. I mean, it's, so, if it's not a know, faith, I, it's sin, basically. So if I'm dealing with a two-year-old who punches me in the knee, am I going to hold a grudge against that kid? No. 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 He's dumb. I mean, he's ignorant. He's an ignorant, un, you know, he's two. Right. And Jesus himself said, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing anyway. Right. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do when right. he was crucified. I mean, right off, right there, God, Jesus backing you up 100% right there. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is God, 
the importance of forgiving is immense. And so in this prayer, we're reminded again that God is telling us, forgive other people. Forgive other people, and then I can forgive you because you'll be in a heart place where you're seeking my forgiveness. Right, and if you're not forgiving other people, you're not really asking for forgiveness in the first place. You might think you are, but right. if you are un- if you have an unforgiving heart, you're going to God asking him for uh, a favor or, a, you know, or, you know, you're going to pull the arm on the on the brass uh, plated uh, mon- monkey jackpot <laughs> machine looking for a treat. <laughs> the magical monkey jackpot machine. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you're yeah, not if you're yeah. unforgiving, then you're not really you can't you're not in that you're not in the heart condition that's really asking for forgiveness in the first place. Right. That's what you're saying. Right. That's the big aha moment we're sharing here that I've come yeah, that's, to. And again, you're going to have people, and I'm totally cool with this, they're going to look at this as, as this is what it says. And like I said, I was reading it from the direct Greek to English, and of course this is a highly respected Greek to English interlinear New Testament. And when I read it, and forgive us the debts of us, as also we have forgiven the debtors of others. In other words, forgive us the way that we have forgi- that we have forgiven. Right. And so you've got a type as opposed to an order. Make sense? Yeah, and one thing, you know, one thing that I would advise anybody, any believer is uh, you know, a really good point you made earlier is that you know, my advice to you is that no matter how wonderful you end up evolving to become, no wonder how, no matter how much of a loving, wonderful Christian human that you uh, ultimately become, never, never cease going before God and saying, "Jesus, open my eyes, because I am, I am blind and naked and desperate and wicked." Yeah, we have to be like that tax collector instead of that Pharisee. We do. And let me tell you something. You know, it's like the guy who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. You know, we see in – I think it's Pilgrim's Progress that he says that uh, John Bunyan – or that Pilgrim, I guess – I asked God to, uh, he didn't feel like he was all that wicked, you know. It's like, well, I ain't such a bad guy, you know. Uh, and then he asked God to, um, reveal his true wickedness. And he almost got, to, he, he couldn't even live with himself once God had given him a glimpse of that. You know, we think we're okay, but if we could see ourselves the way God sees us, we're horribly, desperately wicked. Yeah. Yeah, that's the truth. But at the same time, he sees us through the grace and blood of Christ. Yes, he does. So we're his children, you know? That's right. And and he's always ready to run down the street and throw his robe on us and slay the fatted calf, you know? I I mean, our repentance is always a a cause for celebration with him. He just loves us to become – he loves it when we become more like him because it's so good for us. And he wants that for us. He knows that's where our true joy will be. You know, the more that we're like him, the more life abundant that we will have. And the more that we're not like him, that's us clinging to a life which is temporary and will fade. And that is subject to all kinds of 
all kinds of bad things happening that make that life less abundant. You know, if you do something really horrible to me, me forgiving you, a lot of times I'm going to feel like I've given up something sacred that I need to hang on to, don't I? Yeah. Yeah, forgiveness, man, forgiveness is a heavy subject, and uh, but it's so vitally important. And <clears throat> to be able to forgive is really the grace of God operating in us, the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit telling us we need to forgive. You know, and giving us the power to be able to do that, to be able to see things in people, to be able to see people through the same eyes that God sees them, to see them and and regard them the same way that God regards them. You know, and if we will do that, then we'll be more than eager to forgive them. Would you agree? Would you agree with the contention that we are utterly incapable of forgiving anybody else unless we have the Holy Spirit helping us? Hmm. Or is no. forgiveness a power that God has given us in our flesh? Well, I could say just by experience, what I've witnessed and what I've felt. You know, I got saved when I was nine, and I can remember some of the stuff that happened before I got saved. That <clears throat> I think when I told my brother who had punched me or whatever, you know, that it was all right, or I told myself that I wasn't going to hold it against him, or I at least lived, you know, because I just lived it out that I wasn't going to hold it against him. And we returned to a joyful relationship. I think that's just some of the goodness that God's put in the world. I just, I do, I just believe that that's just, some would say it's prevenient grace. You know, it's anything that looks like God that uh, that he has to have. I mean, if you think about it, if he didn't pour goodness into this world and let it even happen in us, then we would have all knocked each other off a long time ago. You know, my uh, old co-host Rick would tell you uh, anything in the world, anything that's good has ultimately come from God anyway. Right. And I do agree with that because God is the source of all goodness. Right. I mean, he he is the source of goodness, and therefore any goodness that occurs has to find him as his source. So if you slap me around and I don't feel like for you to, I don't feel like forgiving you, you know, because I want to, you know, I feel like I'm going to be giving up part of my manhood or whatever. But if I at least make that choice to try to forgive you, would you say God would step in and help me with the rest? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would. I would say that. Your your inclination, you know, it's like that guy who said, I believe, Lord, now help me with my unbelief. And Jesus was merciful on him. Yeah. You know? And and so I think that our admittance of our weakness is like confessing our sin. You know, it's like I, I'm choosing to forgive, Lord, because you've said to forgive, and I want to forgive. Right now I don't feel like it. I don't feel like I'm not holding anything against this guy anymore, but I'm choosing to forgive. Right. I'm just, you know, I'm going to treat him as if it didn't happen. And and I, and I, th- I believe the grace of God fills that moment and gives us the strength to, pers- you know, to, to, to have right relationship with God, which is what this is all about. This is all restoration. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's that constant restoration into a, a better and deeper relationship with the Lord. It's, keep, it's like taking the trash out. 
You know, you don't want to just have the trash sit in your kitchen over and over again and accumulate bags. Eventually, you got to throw it in your trash can and take it to the curb, you know, and then God is the one that just takes out, you know, gets rid of the trash. Yeah, I plus, have to do something. Yeah, plus like my wife used to tell me, uh, wrath is a, a cup of poison that you pour for someone else, but you end up drinking it yourself. Yeah, hate is hate and anger is like that. Yeah. It's like wishing the worst on somebody and drinking the poison yourself. Yeah. It's just it's just so utterly negative. It's it's a bad, bad thing. And it will Man. tear you up and do little to your enemy. Oh yeah. The person you're angry with and wish ill harm to, they're they're not gonna be impacted by that. They they it just isn't gonna happen. They don't they don't care. No, but you are going to completely destroy yourself, you know. Yeah, and that's where bitterness comes from. And God can't do a whole lot with bitterness, you know, because we just aren't in a position to ask for forgiveness. We're not in a place where we're even going to seek it. We're bitter, and we think we have a right to be bitter. That's the biggest thing that people have to understand is, is we don't have a right to do anything but come before the throne of God. That's it. Otherwise, it's we don't have a right to anything. We have We have through... You know, Jesus said that we can walk before the throne boldly because of him, you know, and so now we have that privilege. That's something that's been given to us by grace. But everything else, I don't have a right to be treated good in this world. No, there you go. There you go. That's not a right that you're born with. No. Not only that, but, you know, um, you know, Charles Stanley, who I grew up with, uh, he, you know, his teaching on that is uh, – well, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, his, his, his teaching on that is it is completely unreasonable for you to, ex- for you to expect everybody to respect you or be nice to you or, uh, or not hurt you. That's completely unreasonable. You cannot leave your house in the morning expecting everybody to treat you right. Exactly. That's unreasonable. Exactly. There's always going to be somebody that doesn't like you. It's always going to be yeah. somebody that hates you. It's not. It's not your fault at all. Probably. They don't like the way you look. Yeah. You know. They don't like the sound yeah. of your voice. You know. It's the truth. They don't they happen just... to like your personality. It reminds them of the bully that picked on them when they're in third grade. <laughs> oh, Mark, you little queer. Oh, Mark, you little queer, I'm going to beat you right through the chain link fence. Oh, no. Actually, Mark is so much bigger than me, if you guys could see that. That's probably not something I would ever actually say if he was very close. Put on my Nikes and then tell Mark that. (laughs) You better run. You better run. so hard. I hit you so hard, you wake up, your clothes would be out of style. <laughs> Punch you right into next Thursday. That's it, man. <laughs> no, I'm not like that. So uh, as we progress through the Lord's Prayer, uh, passing the forgiveness verse, um, you know, we come to uh, a very strange uh, uh, enigma that is, at least is an enigma for me um, is uh Asking God not to lead us into temptation as if God would lead us into temptation if we didn't ask? What is that, Mark? I've never quite gotten a hold of that one right there. 
Yeah, that's a toughie because looking at the uh, English, the Greek, or, or yeah, Greek, what does the, the English, Greek say there? It says in uh, the verse, uh, "And do not bring us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one." And when I look at it, I'm kind of like, well, God says in James very clearly that he tempts no man. Okay, so what does that mean then? Does God lead us into temptation? As if he would? As if he would? Does so we're he... like begging him not to as if he would if we didn't? <laughs> yeah, you know? and so you have to look at it and and think about it through the mindset of Jesus and who he's talking to. You have to look at that audience and you have to figure out, okay, is there something in Judaism back in the day that somehow plays into this phrase so that his disciples would understand this a certain way? Well, yeah, well, I'll take you right back to Second uh, Kings where we started. And that is, you know, when the God is in his God is in heaven and he's got his armies on the left and the right of him. And he says, what are we going to do about this Ahab king, evil king critter? And and one of his one of the soldiers of his armies steps out and says, let me go send a lying spirits into his prophets to lie to him. So it'll totally mess him up. He'll take bad advice and die. And God says, okay, that'll work. So there, you know, I mean, hey, you make God angry enough. I suppose he could send a lying spirit into your life, lead you into the temptation. He's obviously done it before to people that were dead set against him, his enemies. You don't want to be, do you want to be that enemy? I mean, that's, I, I'd probably hit you that way, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of people that when they try to explain this verse to other people, like I'm going to try to do right now, uh, I think that it's a recognition of a couple different things. One is that the only person who can keep me from temptation, which in James says that I'm led astray by my own evil desires, the only person who can keep me from that is God. And then, but deliver us from evil, or as it says in some other things, deliver us from the evil one. Uh, is a recognition that he is the only one that can deliver us from the evil one too. Right. So you you can look at it that way, and like you were saying, I I think this is an instance where God, you know, look what he did to Job. Right. He took his hand off of him. Okay. Turned turned the authority over to Satan. Said, okay, but don't kill him. You can't kill and, him. And, any of those kinds of instances that occur in our life, I can never say that God is unjust, and I can never say that uh, God tempted me. Now, you're not qualified God, to make the judgment in the first well, place. Plus, I mean, if he leads me to a place of temptation, he didn't create the temptation. No. But if right. he's using temptation, which he has said— there's no temptation that's not common to man, first of all. Right. Second, he says that he always gives a way out. Right. So So even if he brings me into that, he's provided a way out of it. And like with those lying spirits, Ahab ha Ahab wasn't forced to believe them. Ahab could have repented and turned to the living God. Right, but what I was saying is he was an enemy of God anyway. So right. he wasn't even going to you know, he was, you know, 
he didn't have much chance as it was. I mean, you're going to put yourself that dead set against God, you know, like Ahab or Aleister Crowley or Hitler. You, you're going to be in that place where you're going to believe the deception rather yeah. than. But if you were that evil and actually repented, you would be. You would be not deceived. You, God would have mercy on you, probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and it, yeah, and it's one of those things where. If you just look at what God wants, I mean, this is the nation of Israel that Ahab's in, right? He's the king over over the ten tribes. I mean, these are people who are not ignorant of God. They're not ignorant of what God wants. They're not ignorant of the law. They're surrounded by it. They're, they've turned to idolatry because they're utterly selfish and stupid. Stupid. Right. You know, but these are not people who are ignorant of, of the living God. They're just thumbing their nose at him. Right. And yeah, Ahab that's... wants to be the king, and so he wants to be in power, and so he does wicked, evil things so he can stay in power. And he appeases the people in their idolatry. And then when the lying spirits come, you know, to, to these people who are not telling him to listen to God anyhow, then... Ahab is the one that's choosing it. And to me, to, to, to ask God not to lead me into temptation is just asking for grace. You know, it's just, again, another request for him to do the one thing that only he can do. I'm faced with temptation all the time. Oh, yeah. You know, pick up the donut, whatever, you know, and, and I'm always, I mean, I'm always tempted to try to solve my problems in a, in a way that God would not, or rather in a way different than the way God would solve them. I was almost I'm, kidnapped. I'm always ready but, for that, you know? Sorry, huh? I derailed you. I was going to say, I was almost kidnapped by an Asian woman the other day. I that said, would be... <laughs> <laughs> I was terribly tempted. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm too old. I'm married. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, oh. I, I mean, I lied. I'm not that old. <laughs> and <laughs> the wife, she's I'm married, but she's gone. So like, nobody who would care. But you know what? You right know, is right, I'll, and wrong is wrong. Yeah, I just ba- backed right out of that one. It's like God gave me a way out. He gave me right. a way out. It wasn't that hard to say no, no thanks, uh, and run for my car. <laughs> It wasn't that hard. I did it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, and it was his grace in you, knowing what was right and wrong. And we just talked about this with – I t- just talked about this with the college group I teach in in, uh, in Hebrews, where at the very end of chapter 5, it talks about how he's, he's getting on these people because they're like babies. They've descended. They have uh, – wow, what is the word? It starts with an R. Really uh, – I can't remember it. But basically, they have just gone from being mature Christians to being utterly immature Christians. And so now they're having to deal with the basics. And he oh. talks about maturity, and he and he says that maturity is equated to being able to discern between good and evil. That's what mature Christians do. And, you know... Uh, but I, I need God every day to supply the grace to keep me from even getting near temptation. You know, I know that he can use anything ultimately for his good because he will. 
That's that's how it works. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong at all with asking him not to lead me into into temptation. I, I just don't have a problem with that. I, and there's a lot of people that look at that and they blame God as if something... See, this is another thing that people need to understand about Christianity is that we're all tempted all the time. Yeah. And temptation, being tempted is not sinning. No. And so when we pray this prayer and lead us not into temptation, we're not we're we're not blaming God for sin. We're asking for help to not sin. You know, keep me from myself. Save me from myself. Don't lead me into temptation. Right. But and, deliver me from evil. Right. Now there is the word you were looking for was reprobate. And yeah. and there there is, I mean, in the New Testament, there is a prophecy that people will become so wicked that God will give them over to their own reprobate mind or give them over to a reprobate mind and cause them to believe a lie and be damned. He gives them what they want. Yeah. That's the wrath of God like, right there. It's just like, you want this? All right, you can have it. Yep. And I mean, and then the person proceeds wanna, to tear themselves apart. Right. You want to hate me that much? All right. I'm getting out of the way. I'm not pretending that I understand that verse. I want everybody to know. I'm not trying to pretend that I really understand what that really means. But I'm taking stabs at it. You know, which one are we talking about? The one in, in Romans or are we talking about the one in the Lord's Prayer? So it has people exceeding in um, wickedness, and then God gives them o- over to a reprobate mind. I've 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 heard somebody explain that passage really well. I don't know where it is. I'm famous for knowing all these scriptures and not knowing chapter and verse. It's, it's Romans chapter one. Ah. I was just thinking, lead us not into temptation, and you you were searching for the R word. I thought a reprobate. Then I thought, whoa, that's sort of like sending them a lying spirit. Uh, the word but, I was thinking of was regress. Ah, regression. Regression. <laughs> As opposed to aggression. Yeah, different from depression. 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 <sighs> yeah, God's the wrath of God is being revealed. It says in verse 18, it starts in there. And, you know, verse 21 says, although, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. And we talked about that earlier. Remember when we were talking about people abusing the, the, the name of God? Right. And know. being unthankful. That's a huge thing is being thankful. Yeah. Don't, don't you so, just hate somebody who's unthankful after you've bended over backwards to help them out? Man, God hates that too, I think. He, he hates just sin. Can't stand ungratefulness. You ungrateful. Well, unca- ungratefulness is pride. Oh yeah. You know, like you owed it to me. Yeah. And you pride. better give me that gift card to the store that doesn't exist. There's nothing <laughs> good that comes from human pride. Uh, your mom, mama used to say, "You can't make your pride into a sandwich and eat it for lunch." <laughs> You can't put your pride between two pieces of bread and eat them for lunch. Pride is horrible. Pride kills, man. That's my motto. There's very kills. little nutritional value in pride. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Yeah. What's that? I'm reading this passage in Romans. and Okay. And, and it says, because they did all these things, God gave them over to the sin. It says, and this is, let's see, NIV. 
and the NIV's NIV's fine. The that's nearly the is. nearly inspired version. <laughs> ah, that's what people say, but it's, it's better than that. Yeah, I know. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity and on and on and on and on and on and on. And so they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And so right. basically he's like, all right, you want it this bad, you can have it. And what happens is then is, is they just keep on in the very same course they were in before, and that is, is they know God, they know what God says, and – you know they they don't care. They want to redefine. You know that's and we had started off talking a long time ago about homosexual marriage, right? And uh, they want to redefine things so that they know that God says this thing. They know it, yeah. but they want to redefine it then, and then they're exchanging the truth for, about God for a lie. And you know what? People that uh, like they want to redefine God so they can live their way. I got nothing right. but sympathy for those guys. I'd love to redefine God all day. You know, I've making it. I've made a choice not to, <laughs> and to just beg God for mercy every night. Yeah. You know, but you know, don't do it. Because like what you said, and that's my huge uh, Johnny. You know, uh, he's not much good, but it, for anything but yelling, "What's up?" But I have, I do have a few of my own uh, contentions that I've worked out, and one of them is like when you said they exchanged God tr- God's truth for a lie. This is a huge thing that I've worked out theologically, just in my own mind, and that is the lockout. I call that the lockout. And uh, anybody who's ever heard old iron shows and armed with iron, you'll hear me uh, talk about the lockout. And that is when you uh, exchange the truth for a lie and the lie for a truth, you've completely locked yourself out. That's a complete lockout. Now you are locked out. You've twisted the deadbolt right there. When the truth is a lie and the lie is a truth, when you've reversed it, you've completely locked yourself out. That's how you especially, get locked especially out. Especially when you know, like it says, although they knew God, you know, although they had an awareness of God. They chose. Actual, actual right and wrong. They chose to, to redefine it. it. And like it says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And that's a lockout. That is a complete twist yeah. of the deadbolt. People who do that have taken themselves out of the game in such a huge way until, and God God keeps working on everybody, you know, but... I mean, think about the physics and the science of that. If you exchange the truth for a lie and the lie for a truth, you've locked yourself out of any kind of reality. Right. You've separated yourself from God by twisting. By and inverting and, everything. The Gnostics and, did that, obviously. I mean, that's what they did. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah, I think about uh, people who are just hardcore evolutionists and as a result are have to be atheists. They have to be. Yeah. And so uh, what they've done is, is they've put themselves in a position where they can't be reached because they just can't hear the argument. They, they can't accept the apologetic. They just can't do it. And they can't do it because of their own ego and pride. But the, the, the very first thing they had to do was believe a lie. And they chose to believe the lie. 
They just they chose it. It wasn't as if somebody, you know, stuck a plug in their ear and said, hey, man, God didn't create everything. It just all came from this primordial ooze. And that, as, as if somehow that makes sense. And so for them, they're just like, well, I mean, anybody who believes that God created this is ignorant. Well, where did it come from? Well, maybe aliens seeded the planet. I mean, that's proof right there that Richard Dawkins could make that statement. It's proof to me that he has definitely believed a lie, that he is not using his actual reason. He is not exercising his God-given abilities to... To think logically. Yeah, once you've decided to believe a lie, you've put the key in the lock and broken the key off in the lock. Yeah, you know, and, and unless so, God so and his unless God in his mercy steps in and opens your eyes, you're doomed. You've locked yeah. the, you've completely locked yourself out. And it, and it was by choice. Yeah. It was by choice. It was by choice, yeah. And and so it's not like somebody came along and just sucker punch you, you know, and you you have to change. We do yeah, that. Cool. We do that in small ways every day, don't we, though? You know, uh, we do believe little lies, don't we? Yeah. You, uh, something you might not know about. This just popped into my head as you uh, as you were talking about that. back Way back in the day, Roman government type days, uh, when they were minting coins – they had to start – you know how we have ridges on our coins? Yeah. Well, do you know why those are there? For blind people? No. No. What happens – it's a tradition that goes all the way back to Roman times. And what happened was is people would get the coins and they'd start shaving off a little bit of the gold. And so they'd take a tool and they'd shave a little bit off of the gold and, and to keep for themselves. And then they'd swap that coin around as if it actually represented the value – that it was supposed to represent. Oh, they'd fill a little bag full of shavings. Yeah, and so they would shave their coins. And so the way the government combated that was they put a whole bunch of ridges on the coins. And you couldn't you couldn't pull one over on anybody then. Oh, you, you couldn't, couldn't shave, shave it because they, they would feel that the ridges weren't as deep. Yeah, I mean, they're gone. You just couldn't shave the coins anymore. And so that's how they handled that. Well, what what the way that people deal with the truth today is is like those coins without ridges. They they shave it. We shave it. And we all these compromises that we have, all the deals that we make with ourselves, all those little things that we're like, well, this will be all right, or whatever little little compromise we make is just is just shaving that coin, and 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 then we're believing that that coin still represents the value that it intent was intended for it when it was minted. Right. Without the ridges, without the original boundaries and silhouettes on the coin, I could hand you a coin, and you, if you didn't have another one to compare it to, you wouldn't know whether I'd shaved it or not. Yeah, I mean, it could I, – I can't tell you know what something weighs just by putting it in my hand. Right, so if I like that small, so I, you know, and of course the value of the coin was based on the weight, and so uh, I was coming to a deep thing though. I was like, if I lie to you and you don't have the original, if you don't have anything like the Word of God to compare it to, you're going to believe me. Yeah, 
It's my and big. So, that was and deep. That's huh? kind of like how evolution. Yeah, I mean that's how <laughs> evolution and things like that have propagated. I mean, people. Nobody believed in evolution before eighteen what eighteen ninety. Yeah, Darwin actually didn't even believe in evolution. He just thought that he had uh, he had come up with uh, a way of explaining some of creation. Uh, in the very first draft, the first uh, running of the Origin of the Species, he pronounced that he was a Christian uh, creationist and that this didn't explain uh, – it wasn't an alternative to God, but that he had thought he had discovered some of God's method – for creation and uh, that piggyback big time boy they there buried that one real quick that they were looking for a viable theory that they could use to yeah. get God out you know you can't get a hold of one of those first runs of origins of the species they made real sure that they destroyed nearly every copy because they latched onto that and took it as a total a total uh, alternate theory explaining the absence of God yeah. And if you read that book, I mean, the the stuff this guy says in it, he's a monster. I mean, he says that if we don't, you know, like we kill off the weaker animals, if we don't kill off the weaker humans, then we're actually damaging the species as a whole. Who are you like talking that, about, this, that new scientist? Darwin. That, that's in Darwin's oh, book. Okay. And so, you know, that was the eugenics yeah. concept that, you know, Hitler ran with. And Planned Parenthood, a lot of people don't know that about Planned Parenthood, but it was based on eugenics, based on Darwinism. Yeah. Uh, the idea was to kill off the weak, sterilize them so they can't reproduce. And they did it under the guise of something that was supposed to sound nice. Planned Parenthood. Oh, yeah. I don't have kids until it's time, you know. And now the government supports it. And it's just, you know. We support, actively support, eugenics in this country. And it's just terrifying. But it's a lie. And everybody b bites off on the lie, and they're like, yeah, give me a piece of that. And, and they like it better than the truth of God. And the truth is, no matter who you are, God has created you for a purpose. Right. As inferior as you seem to other people. God has created you with a special purpose that perhaps nobody else even possesses. Yeah. I mean, we're all so, I mean, we're, what's the saying I like to use? We're all unique, just like everybody else. We all have a value. We all have a purpose. We all have a reason why we're here. That's exactly. why suicide is such a terrible sin. Yeah. You know, because you, you, you have people who kill themselves are so in their, you know, so far away from being in their right mind. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Some people just want out of the pain. I, I can sympathize with that. But God has put you there for a reason, for his glory. And to, you know, to kill that off is a terrible thing. Yeah. You know, it, and it hurts people so much. You know, my my father killed himself and it, the the damage is I have no idea how long it will take for my stepsister to to recover and even the possibility then of, you know, the gospel penetrating her heart. I, I have no idea where she's at. You know what I mean? And, yeah, if and, you really want to hurt people by killing yourself, guess what? You're going to get your wish. Yeah. But yeah, they'll get a, over it <laughs> eventually. Remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think about it and, and I'm like, well, you shouldn't have done it. 
you know, but it doesn't, doesn't ache. It's not like I'm missing a limb, you know? So anyways, it's just, don't do it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, as we move through the Lord's prayer here, I guess we should, uh, barrel on towards the ending of it. And, uh, uh, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, uh, for yours is the kingdom and the honor and the glory forever. Could you take us through that part? Well, that's an add-on. That's actually not in Scripture. Oh, really? Uh, no, if you look at Scripture, it ends with deliver us from evil. And ah. then in Luke, in Matthew, it just says that. And then in Luke, it says... Uh, and lead us not into temptation is where it ends. And so oh. if you look at the bigger version, Matthew, that whole ending was added. It's not. In, it's actually not in Bibles. It's it's something that has come down by tradition. It's not a bad tradition if you ask me. For yours is the kingdom and the honor and the glory forever. That's pretty good. I don't – I mean think about it. It's a repeat of what you said at the beginning. Right, right. Exactly. So, I was going to say, yeah, it kind of goes back to the beginning. I can see why they wanted to add that on so that you would be reminded of why you started the prayer in the first place. Right. Right? Or no? Yeah, and it's liturgical. It comes from, you know, a practice that the church did. and and uh, Okay. And so there you go. You can't. You can say that it sounds cool and that it's a good reminder of what you said at the beginning and it, it bookends really well, but you can't say that it's scripture. Ah, so, okay. there you go with that. Is there anything else that's not scripture we should be aware <laughs> of, Mark? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I can't remember, but there's a couple things where they think that it was uh, not necessarily added in, but in the wrong order or something like that. Is it critical? No. It's not life or death. No. It's not heaven like, or for hell. For instance, uh, in the book of John, uh, the, the tale of the, uh, the woman caught in adultery. Right. Yeah, that's, that's not in the original manuscripts, like as far back as they go. When they find from, you know, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff like that, copies of John. Is it in the Textus Receptus, though? I don't know. Ah, I, I'm venturing out into memory land here where I try to pull things out of my memory, so it, it gets a little dicey. I heard that the Bible by a uh, – actually, a scholar told me this, that the Bible was actually written in military-style Greek. So – because they had a the, – the Greek – uh, language, they had a military uh, version of their Greek so that when orders were given, there was no, there would be no question as to the meaning or nobody would get be confused by the order because it was given to them in a very exact uh, form of Greek that the military used and that the Bible was written in that version so that we would know exactly what it means. Is that, do you know anything about that? I've never heard that before. All I can uh, say is that the Greek that we have for like the book of Hebrews, which is the best Greek in the New Testament, differs uh, from uh, Paul's writings, and it differs from other Greek New Testament books. There's differences in the the use of the grammar and 
so I, I couldn't say that it was all, you know, they call it Koine Greek, and it was the common Greek. So it wasn't uh, the hi- fancy highfalutin. But uh, I've never, ever heard that theory of a military version of Greek. Ah. There's one question addressed, answered. <laughs> uh, the oldest, somebody was asking me the oldest versions of the Bible. I knew we had the Textus Receptus, and there's another one that we draw from also. What's the name of that? Uh, you talking about for the whole Bible or New Testament? Uh, New Testament. Okay, let me think. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I got you on the spot there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So there's one for the old edit machine. <laughs> oh, we yeah. have that. Pause, erase, select. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just don't remember. Select time uh, signature, rewind. <laughs> there's there's some of the stuff I remember and some of it I don't. Insert silence. <laughs> All right, everybody hold their breath. All right. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. Oh, there was one other question I wanted to ask you before we bailed. Um, oh, man. Oh, what was that? Um, oh, it was from today's reading that I went through uh, near the end of uh, First Kings. Oh, uh, um, oh, it's not important then. Now I remember it. It's not important. So, I was just thinking, what, you know, getting back to the uh, to the the uh, the uh, spat of cannibalism we've been seeing on these people on uh, bathtub uh, salts, the so-called bathtub salts. Uh, there's a. I was thinking of a one reference in the Bible to cannibalism that I remember, and uh, that is that uh, the city. In in the beginning of Second Kings, there was a city called Samaria, which was built on a hill, and it was part of uh, the north the northern tribes' dominion. It was a city built on a hill, a big fortress city built on a hill called Samaria, and the Amorites had completely surrounded it and caused people to. Go to starve, to run out of supplies. Where a uh, donkey head, it got so bad a donkey head was was selling for eighty shekels, and a cup of dove's poop was selling for eight shekels. And uh, they had gotten so starved that the the uh, uh, this uh, woman came before the king and said, uh, I've got a terrible problem. Uh, please settle this matter for us. Uh, yesterday, me and this woman agreed that if we ate my son yesterday, that today we could eat her son. And we ate my son yesterday, but now it's today where we want to eat her son, and she's hiding him. <laughs> and the king goes, oh, and rips his clothing. <laughs> Oh, this is horrible. Ah, My yeah. wife just recently went over that passage. Did She's you really? Doing an Old Testament survey class or something like that. And and uh, I'm just like, oh, that's just hideous. Ah, brutal, just isn't it? Hideous. Yeah, there's some, uh, you know, the human condition has not changed. Uh, people will do anything if they're under the influence of certain drugs or if they're desperate 
And, yeah. you know, without God, they'll, they'll do all kinds of, you know, the nature of man has not changed. We have, we have evolved in our technology, but we have not made any progress, uh, uh, in our compassion or, you know. And in fact, yeah. Jesus said in the last days, the sin will so abound that the love of, of people will completely grow cold. That's a huge indicator of the last days. Yeah. Uh, oh, Counselor Mark, man, it's been awesome hanging out with you, just talking about the stuff that comes into our heads. And, and then we come on the Lord's Prayer and having you walk us through that and take that apart and explain that all to us and bless us here. And we have, I really, I don't know about the listeners, but Johnny has come out of this session a better man, a more knowledgeable than I was when I came in. I think I figured some stuff out too, so I'm 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 very grateful for the venue. All right, all yeah, right, boy. Yeah, what's up? Oh yeah. <laughs> all right, we've come to the end of this Iron Show, and it's time for our one, two, three goodbye. Are you ready, Mark? I am ready. One, two, three, three. goodbye. Uh, Yet. Yes. Alright! Later, bro, man. I love you. Love you too. Alright!